morning to you. I'm grateful for the privilege of serving the Lord doing this, but I, like you, hurt because our pastors had to go through all this uh, disadvantage. I'm encouraged because of a good report, the catheterization and the examination of the inner chamber's heart revealed that uh, nothing there uh, to cause a problem. And that's a miraculous thing, really, you figure. As I said earlier today in Sunday school class, and probably 60% of the population that are 60, 60 years of age or so might not find an angiogram reveal that much good condition as far as not anything to deal with. You know, there's leaky bowels and heart murmurs and you know all this stuff that goes on. So we're grateful for that. And Lord, pray for he and Miss Nora daily, daily, daily. Uh, they love this church family as this church family loves them. And they want to be here. And I want them to be here. So be faithful in praying for them. Subject today at hand is principles of powerful Christian service. Principles of powerful Christian service. Our text will be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 through 54. And I always wrestle a little bit with this because when, you know, I want to read the whole thing, but that's just not advantageous in the time frame deal to read the whole 54 verses or whatever. But we'll read a good portion of them as we expound our way through the text. But the scene uh, is given in the first verses there and uh, down through uh, about the first nine. Basically, it's this. You've got two armies, one the Philistine and one the Israeli armies, and they're gathered together, arrayed for battle and uh, on two mountainsides, and the Valley of Elah is between them. And uh, it's between Shoko and Azekai and this Ephes diamond. And Saul and the men, verse 2, and Saul of men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by this valley on the one side and set in battle array. The Philistines stood on the other side. And this valley between them. And they're just there looking at each other, so to speak. And there was this champion went out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet brass on his head. And he was armed with a great coat of mail, armor. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. That's 166 pounds. He had greaves of brass upon his legs, a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. Now, I tried to imagine what this is like. This dude is nine foot nine inches tall. He's in taller than anybody else around here. But there was one carried a shield, bearing a shield that went before him. And I tried to think about this. Well, this is probably an average height guy. And to get that perspective, I thought, well, you know, this is probably like Austin carrying the shield in front of Doc. Think about that. This is nuts. I mean, really, think. But that's kind of the perspective. This guy was nine foot nine inches tall, and average guy would be five and a half, six foot, whatever. This shield. I wondered if the if the shield guy volunteered for that. You know, I'm not sure. But anyway, 
he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not, not a Philistine? And ye servants of Saul, choose your man for you. Let him come out and down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David is the youngest son of Jesse, had eight sons. He got brothers here in the camp, a couple of them. But David's back home tending his father's sheep. But on a particular day, uh, his father said, Look, I want you to go uh, take some victuals, some food to your, your brothers that are at, in the battle. And so David did that. He was the youngest of the three. And, of course, he uh, went... Uh, uh, to feed his father's sheep and so forth. But then he drew near, where well, the Philistine drew near and kept this going on. David heard this when he got there, what was going on. Uh, he went to the battlefield there, and all the men of Israel, verse 24, when they saw the man fled from him, were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up, surely to defy Israel? <clears throat> Is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and give him the, his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. That would mean no taxes, and that would be a miracle in, in America, wouldn't it? David spoke to the men that stood by him and said, What shall be done to, this, to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So forth. Well, of course, he was ridiculed by his brothers. But the word got to Saul, and they took him to Saul. And he said, to Saul, I'll go. So verse 31, pick it up. When the words were heard, which David spoke, they rehearsed him before Saul. He sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul looked at him. You're just a, yeah, just a lad, just a, just a youth. You can't fight against this guy. He's been a man of war since his youth. You have no experience. You're not, you can't do this. David said unto Saul, verse 34, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a, lion, a lamb out of the flock. And I went up after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he had defiled the armies of God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then Saul, you know, logical, Okay, here, young man, if you're going to go, and by the way, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. You'd think, well, maybe he might go out there. Uh, he said, if you're going to go, you take my stuff and go. And David tried to say, I can't deal with this stuff. It's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. Uh, 
So, verse 40. After he put all this stuff off that Saul had given him, he took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. You might ask, well, why did he get five stones? I don't know. But you know something? That Philistine giant had four brothers. Maybe that was common knowledge. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think really David thought he'd miss. I don't know what was going to But he got five smooth stones. Philistine came and drew near unto David. Verse 41, the man bare the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he's but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. You know what impact that had? Zero. Because <laughs> his gods were false. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into thine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Let's pray together. Lord, we love this glimpse into the history of Israel and this particular battle and, of course, the life of uh, young, anointed, though, and future king, David, thank you, Lord, for preserving this for our instruction. I pray, Father, that it might have its full impact upon us this day as we examine it again together. For your honor, praise, and glory. And, Father, for our growth in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So they are army on both sides of the valley. Got one problem, though, this real big dude named Goliath. Nine foot nine inches tall, 125 pounds of armor, 16 pounds just on the spearhead alone, and a shaft that looked like a weaver's beam. It was intimidating. It was intimidating. And no one out there wanted to tangle with him, <clears throat> including David's two older brothers, that were mocking him and criticizing him and saying, who did you leave those few sheep with anyway? I know why you're here. You just want to see all what's going on, et cetera. They criticized him. But Goliath, to his credit, had, you know, a practical solution. Yeah. No use everybody getting killed here, a lot of bloodshed. No, no, no. Practical solution. Keep in mind that the devil always has a practical solution. You've got to watch that stuff. He always has a practical solution. But this sounds pretty good. Hey, no use in everybody getting skinned up here and half of us killed on both sides. You send one man out to meet me and we too will fight and the decision will be done based on the outcome of that. And here I am, 
nine foot nine inches tall. Send your guy out and we will go from there. That's the scene. That's Goliath's solution. Now let's see if we can follow along not only this particular scene, but go back some and think about young David. And when we get to that point, we're going to find the real solution. So first of all, there's some basic principles of preparation. Make a difference who you are. David, Jack, Mary, Bill, Sue, Amy. For Christian service, there are some basic principles involved if we're going to serve the Lord. First of all, you've got to be born of God. Because if you're not, you're under the dominion of the devil. You can't serve the Lord under the dominion of the devil. You can only serve the devil. And David was in a close personal relationship with the Lord. In verse, chapter 16, 13, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 13, he'd been anointed by Samuel to be the future king of Israel. And the scripture says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Mightily. What a glorious thing. The Spirit of God came mightily upon him. And so he was, though he was anointed to be the future king of Israel, he didn't go out and say, hey, get a load of this. I'm anointed to be future king. You know what he did? He continued to humbly serve in his day-to-day responsibilities. First off, he was a part-time harpist to, Hall, to Saul. Saul had some days when his chin was really on his chest and depression or whatever because the spirit of the Lord had departed him and an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. And so he'd get David to come in and play the harp for him to encourage him. Then David remained under the authority of his father, continued serving as a shepherd for his sheep. The young man, anointed to be the future king, continued right along in his daily responsibilities without variance. Proverbs 18.12 says this, before destruction, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Goliath's problem, right? His heart was haughty. Send out a man. But for honor is humility, as in David's situation. So there you've got two armies arrayed in battle, staring each other down. Goliath taunting everybody on the Israeli side, haughty. Here's humble David. Humble David, a shepherd boy. I'll go fight this dude. Proverbs twenty-two, fourteen: by humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And Micah 6, 8 gives us some insight about those of us who want to seek to serve the Lord with our lives. It says, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Young David, though anointed to be king of Israel in the future, and he knew that was going to pass, come to pass, continued to walk humbly, going playing the harp to encourage Saul. He didn't go in there and say, hey, dude, I'll play for you a few strings today. You know, you're not going to be king much longer, but 
I'm going to take your place. I'm going to play for you. He didn't do that. In fact, you read the history there, and you'll find that Saul, that David never would touch Saul or dishonor Saul as long as he was in that office because he was the anointed of the Lord to be in that office for that time. He continued to walk humbly before God and man in his present circumstance and day-to-day situations. Here's a truth that applies to all of us. Before anyone is qualified for leadership, they must first discipline themselves and fellowship. And say it again. For anyone, before anyone is qualified for leadership, they must first discipline themselves and fellowship. So the basic principles we're looking at here, humility before God and man, and faithfulness and day-to-day responsibilities. Doing those responsibilities, whoever they are, as unto the Lord, the scripture says. During our day-to-day deeds, as unto the Lord. And I guess it goes without saying, right after some of our day-to-day deeds can't be done as unto the Lord, we ought not to be doing those deeds in the first place. There's a progression in preparation. A progression. First, as we've mentioned, David demonstrated his humility by faithfully following those whom God had placed an authority over him. And humility is always a prerequisite. It's just there. It's always a prerequisite for faithful service to the Lord. Likewise, you younger, Peter tells us, 5.5 five, of 1 Peter, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to serve God with your life, you're going to have to have a lot of grace. And if your pride's a barrier, you're not going to be real successful in bringing God glory at, at all. I'm no much judge, but I'll tell you, you know, I, I was a pastor, a second pastor, a guy I got acquainted with. They were never in our church. They were over more of a kind of a charismatic genre, he and his wife. But uh, I met him, he and his wife, that's all way when I met them. One day he told me, he said, well, Brother Ray, you know, God's revealed to me that he's got a ministry coming for me. And I don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be something big. <sighs> that just caused a little flag to go up back here, you know on the back left-hand side of my ball spot. It just seemed to be, man, I'm going to be a big in ministry. You know something? I don't believe he's ever found that ministry yet. You know what a big ministry is? You really want to know what the definition of a big ministry is? It's when a thrice holy God chooses little old you or me to do something exactly his way for his glory. Man, that is a big ministry. And it may be obscure, and the world will never know who we are. But, ladies and gentlemen, that is a significantly humongous, big, glorious ministry because it's done for Him and no one else. Secondly, second principle 
No one is qualified for leadership in the Lord's service who has no experience of walking in obedience with the Lord over time. In the good times and the bad. Say it again. No one is qualified for leadership of the Lord's service until... uh, No one is qualified in the Lord's leaders... Pardon me. No one is qualified for leadership in the Lord's service who has no experience of walking in obedience with the Lord over time. A seasoned, experienced saint, if you will. Paul was one of those guys. Did he ever have some experience? Good times and bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 10 through 10. Verse 8. We would not have, we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Got down to the point where they said, boy, we bought the farm this time, it's over. Despaired even of life. Verse 9, he gives us the results of that. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the living God. What a glorious thing being driven to where you despair of life, if the result of it, it brings you to the point where you don't trust in yourself anymore, but you trust in him who has called us unto his glory. Verse 10. (laughs) I love this passage. Who delivered us from so great a death, and death delivered, and whom we trust he will yet deliver us. Think about that. Faith and three tenses. I remember what he did, and boy, he did it. He delivered us then. He's delivering us now, and he will yet deliver us. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is being equipped, equipped by the Holy Spirit of the living God, according to the Word of God, to serve God the Father according to his will. So David was prepared to serve the Lord. He knew the presence of the Lord because of the abiding of the Holy Spirit. He knew the peace of the Lord because of his seasons in walking through adversity with the Lord. He knew who held the outcome of things. He knew he was sovereign. You know, that's a comfort, isn't it? I know know who holds the outcome of this. I've been through some difficult times. Some of them about broke my heart. May have, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's not just broke right now. But you know something? The blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And he held those decisions and those outcomes that were hurtful in the palm of his sovereign hand. I can deal with that. And so can you. He is in control. He rules. Well, there's a progression in David's preparation. There'll be a progression in our preparation to serve the Lord as well. It's not go, oh, here you are. Get off the bench. First time you're going to ministry. I'm going to give you this big ministry. You know, whatever. No, there's a progression. You've got to learn to walk with the Lord humbly and faithfully 
in spite of fearsome, difficult, painful times. 1737 here, David mentions a bear and a lion. Now, now there's this giant. You know, I've got to confess to you, I'm just as ordinary and human as humanness and ordinary can get. And I'm nobody's hero. And there have been times when I've sensed that the Lord was preparing me for this or that through a season of adversity that was tough. And I remember saying to the Lord upon a time, Lord, I, I want to tell you, I know you're in charge of this. This is tough. I know the outcome is in your hand. But Lord, if it's all the same to you, I just would like for you not to consider this preparation for something bigger and meaner down the line. <laughs> you know, you ever feel like that? Lord, don't, I, I want to be prepared, but Lord, I don't want to be prepared for something bigger than meaner than this experience here. You know, in all of us, it's that innate desire for self-preservation. <laughs> Let's face it, you got it, I got it. Bear line and now a giant. What's significant about this progression? Well, first of all, it's his experience with the lion, with the Lord in the encounter with the bear, excuse me, prepared him for the lion. He had experienced the Lord and dealing with a bear to have one of his lambs prepared him for the lion. His experience with the Lord in the encounter with a lion prepared him for this nine foot, nine inch tall giant. So that's the principle of progression in David's life, but there's going to be a principle of progression in our lives as well as we are being prepared to serve the Lord on an ever-expanding, increasing way of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to bring him honor and praise and glory throughout all of our earthly sojourn. God, give us grace. Do it. Ladies and gentlemen, preparation for future service. Without exception, preparation for future service always takes place in the classroom of present faithfulness. Say it again. Preparation for future service always takes place in the classroom of present faithfulness. That is a principle of perspective. David had the right perspective. Lie thought he had a real <laughs> good perspective. If I was nine foot nine inches tall, and you know, I'd probably be cocky. <laughs> Fundamentally, David knew who was in control. Proverbs twenty-one one says, "The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as a river of water; he turns it whithersoever he will." That's comforting. Because we're in scary times in the kingships in D.C. But God's in control. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole dispensing of it is in the hand of God. You believe this stuff? I do. Do you ever worry about anything? You know what worry is? Worry is looking at things not through the lens of faith. Oh, you can be concerned. I've had concerns and so on and so on. 
One guy said he knew for certain that worry was effective. He had some empirical evidence. Because he said, roughly 90% of the things I worried about in my life never took place. It had to be effective. <laughs> David had a proper perspective. Verse 26, David spoke to the men that stood around. All have been fear because of this Philistine. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This little fella, youth, teenager, whatever, 20 years of age, he had the right perspective. Who is this dude that he should be doing this? Saul and his army were scared of him. They saw how much bigger Goliath was than any of them. And David said, He's sure a lot smaller than God. God's in control. David knew how powerless Goliath was before God. And you know something? Goliath was intimidating. That's what the devil intended. Our situation, our current situation in America, and all this stuff, nuts stuff going on, is intimidating. We think, good grief. That's what Satan does. Intimidate. Intimidate. And you know something? You can't make peace with him or any of his minions because you compromise and say, okay, all right. I'll step back a minute off my conviction to, to work in agreement with you. Guess what? Yeah. Next time, you've got to step back further and further and further. Can't compromise with the devil. I know a public school nearby. I knew all the board members on the public school system. I remember a few years ago when they were down on the coast and then place near Texas City, Lamarck. I can't think of the school place name. I knew some people down there too. But they got a suit threat against them because of praying at the ball games. That caused a lot of concern. This particular local school system was debating that issue at the board meeting. Whether they would continue having prayers at the ball games. And it was a tie vote to, to stop praying or to continue praying. Board split right down the middle. So the president of the board cast the deciding vote, swinging it to where we will discontinue praying out of all games. Now, was there a lawsuit on the horizon? No. No one had threatened a lawsuit, but fear, intimidation learned about on the news brought fear and intimidation locally and prayers at the football games was no more. Satan thought. That got people really stirred up. But then the next game, before it started, everybody in the whole place stood up and started praying people in the population and so forth. 
Satan uses intimidation. Fear is his tool to silence Christianity. And what fear stands for, it's an acronym, it stands for false evidence appearing real. I'm sure some of his stuff is mean, tough, hard, and we might go to jail. Many have gone to jail. John Bunyan, who wrote the Bible, has been interpreted in more languages than any other Bible, any other wrote the book that's been interpreted in many more languages than any other book on the planet, save the Bible, was in Bedford jail for preaching the gospel. The magistrate told John Bunyan, you cease and desist, so to speak, in the language of the day, to preach this Christ's gospel no more, and we shall let you go free. John Bunyan, in prison still, said, release me today. Tomorrow I preach Christ and his gospel in Market Square. Bold as a lion. I admire people like that. I really do. David had the right perspective. His was certainly different, incredibly different than Goliath's and everybody else's. But Satan used Goliath to strike fear in everyone except one young man with the anointing of God on him. And he had the right perspective. And it's up to us to choose this day whom we're going to serve. As the scripture says. There's a principle of purpose. Principle of preparation, progression and preparation. Perspective. Now, purpose. Who is this son circumcised Philistine? He should be doing this. I'll go fight him. Got a sense of purpose, a sense of calling. What's well, wonderful? When God gives you a calling and you know it's from him. This, I still have this big framed item hung above my wife's desk in her office. The grace of God will never lead you for the grace of God. The will of God will never leave you for the grace of God will not protect you. Gospel. Gospel. Even Moses knew that. He said, Lord, if you're not going to be down there, I don't want to go. That's the way I feel about things. I don't want to go where he doesn't leave me to go. He shouldn't either. So surrender to the Lord for you and me, as it did with David. It means this. It means when we surrender to the Lord, it results in God fulfilling his purpose through our lives in that particular situation. Whatever it is. When we surrender totally to the Lord in X, Y, or Z, it means God is fulfilling his purpose through us in our lives in that particular situation. And as here is always a dramatic result. Always. When God fulfills his will in your life, it's a dramatic experience for you. It also has a big effect, big effect on others as well. What's your purpose in life? What is it? You got a purpose? What's your, I know you got to go to work tomorrow. Got to take a nap this afternoon, whatever. You got all these things to take care of. But what is the driving purpose 
in your life that compels you. If you purpose to serve the Lord, you've got to be prepared, as we've talked about. But it's not just in preparation. You've got to be prepared to dealing with the, when it becomes known that you're serving the Lord. First of all, you have to, used to be used, get used to standing alone. You will. Verse 24, the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled, they were afraid of him. Daniel's out there in the middle of that valley by himself with a slingshot and five smooth stones. He's got this mammoth guy all armored up, standing behind this smaller man with a shield. David's out there. Nobody but him and one other person other than Goliath. That was the Lord. <laughs> the Lord's hand was on David. So you got to deal with Standing alone. Secondly, you've got to deal with the ridicule of family and friends. And they'll come. Well, now, Ray, you know, come on. You know, don't, you shouldn't be that conservative about this or that conservative about that. I remember when I was raising these kids, that's why I'm bald-headed and white beard. Waver and I, I was really adamant about what was on the TV. We didn't have a TV for years. My mother bought one for us as a gift, so my grandchildren can watch cartoons. Hey, Mom. But I really screened what came on that thing. And I remember one of my daughters said to me, come on, Dad, it's the 90s. Another one came home, and she had a, I found it in her room. It was a, what the hell those bigger tapes, video cassette tape thing that she had in her room. And it was, it was an, had an R rating on it. And I found it. She had it. I said, well, what are you doing with this? Well, that's not mine. It's so-and-so's. I said, well, tell so-and-so next time you see her. She just lost it. And I smashed it with a hammer. <laughs> threw it in the trash. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm considered a radical nut old man over there. When I, what was, they were young, and they thought I was the answer to all things. When they were in the teenagers, I thought, I thought I was the enemy to all things fun. Years passed. That daughter who had that tape, she's in town with her babies. She's the one in North Carolina has 10 children, she and her husband. She had about five of them at the time. The three oldest, or four of them at the time. Three of the little girls had come in, migrated, because we'd had dinner together, and I always do the dishes. Waverly laid down on the couch to watch TV a little bit, and then everybody is scurrying around do their different thing in the house. Well, in the process, I'm doing dishes, and I could see from the kitchen through to the TV. I wasn't paying attention to it, though. And these little three little girls came in and they were sitting right there in front of the TV like this on the floor. And, of course, the programming changed or whatever, but there was something on there that they shouldn't see. You know, we didn't want any X-rated mess, but it was some whatever. And this daughter who had said, had had that tape come charging down the hall and turned that TV off. Mom was asleep and she came in there and she scolded me, Dad, you've got to watch out. Be careful of what they're watching on the TV. You've got to monitor this. And I just started laughing. She said, Daddy, what do you think so complicated and funny about this? I said, because I'm remembering a tape that I found in your room. You see, when you get real conservative, and you're serious about serving Jesus, there are going to be people that mock you and ridicule you, saying you'd be old-fashioned, fuddy-duddy, or just too legalistic. Because their flesh doesn't favor your lifestyle. 
But would to God our flesh be favored of God, by God, because of our experience. And of course, ridicule from the enemy is just giant mocking him as a kid. You know what I bet you? One thing for sure. I'll bet you that subsequent to this time, which these older brothers had been picking on their younger brother and mocking him all along, I know your heart and all this stuff. You know what? I'll bet after this, those boys didn't fool with David anymore. <laughs> Even before he became king, they didn't fool with him anymore. You've got to be prepared also to reject the counsel of the faithless. Saul says, you can't do this, guy. You're, you're no match for this guy. It won't work. You can't do it. The counsel of the faithless is always willing to tell you what won't work when you have a calling from God to do that work. You know why the counsel of the faithless is that way? Because Satan is using the counsel of the faithless to deter you from doing the will of God that you've been instructed to do. Satan never stops. He never, ever Let's so. Can't win. He's too big. Might cost a lot of money. It's not worth the cost, whatever. Then there's the principle of protection. Saul's armor would not fit. Five smooth stones, a stick at a sling. Second Corinthians 10, 4 says, Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, etc., that's what David was armed with. Victory is never determined by weapons alone, but the will of God alone. Then principle of power. I come into you in the name of the Lord, etc. Notice, winding down here now, it was not David's stake not David's uh, reputation that was at stake. It was the Lord's. Who is this dude defying the, the God of, of the Israelites, the living God? Who is this uncircumcised guy doing this? He was concerned about God's reputation, not his own. He certainly wasn't concerned about his life, obviously. So then, whose reputation am I most concerned about? Whose reputation are you most concerned about? We have to watch the flesh and ourselves at all times. Then the principle of praise. The Lord's going to deliver you in my hand today, dude. I don't care how big you are and all this armor mess you got on. The Lord God, whom you have defied, is going to deliver you into my hand this day. And I'm going to cut your head off with your own sword, we find out later. Feed the rest of you to the buzzards. You'll cut your head off in the name of the Lord. The power from on high that comes upon a soul that says, I'm here, Lord. I'm going to serve you regardless in this situation. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous as bold as a lion. You know what I really believe? I think those Philistines started fleeing when the, as soon as this giant went before the Israelis ever started chasing them. 
I really believe they did. They said, Ooh, they're out of here. So is God being praised because of your life and mine? Is he? Well, that's, a, that's an important question, isn't it? Is God being praised because of my life? Is God being praised because of your life? Man, one bar go, it makes no difference. Is God being praised because of your life? One thing for certain, challenges are going to come. Some of them are not going to be pretty. You know why they come? Because we grow in faith. Sometimes we've got to be delivered from the flesh. Paul said, we despaired even of life, that we should not trust in ourselves anymore, but in him who raises the dead. So first of all, some of those mean experiences life brings us, they're all under the sovereign hand of God. Nothing can come to you or me except what God allows. And I've told him a lot of times, Lord, I don't like a lot of this stuff you're allowing. But you know what? Walking with him in it will grow through it in faith and in praise unto him. The victory in every situation is always the Lord's. You're saying, well, wait a minute. I remember this particular situation. We didn't win that. That's what you saw. Did the Lord win in you? Was the Lord's will done in you in that moment of defeat that was necessary to bring you to the point where you no longer trust in yourself? Or to, to finally crush that pride that kept raising this ugly head up and defeating you as a willing servant of the Lord? I don't know. And I guess a question to ask ourselves in closing. What's going on in your life and mine that can only be contributed to the work of God? Is anything going on in your life or mine that can only be attributed to what God is doing in your life and mine? Now, I don't know about you, and I'm certainly not holding myself as anybody's example. You follow me, you wind up in a ditch half the time as I stumble and stagger around trying to keep the will of God. But you know something? I don't want to be one of those whom God is not doing something in and through. Well, the Lord's got a will, doesn't he? And you know what? He's got a will that pervades the universe, the whole, all the galaxies, every nation, humbles one, exalts another, everything going on. But the glorious thing is this, he has a will concerning you and you and you and me. An individual, unique will for each of us as he works in our lives and brings us to, through the process of maturation as we grow in Christ-likeness on our way home. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord God. And we rejoice in your sovereign rule. You know, Lord, there's so many times we think, oh, goodness, if I were you, I would do this or I'd stop that. But I thank you, Father, that the truth is that nothing is going on that you're not aware of. And nothing is going on that you are not sovereign over. 
And I pray, Father, that in every segment of every situation and every segment of society and culture around this planet, that you receive all the glory and honor and praise due your holy name. And I pray, Father, that start in each of us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.